Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello, and welcome back to Series 2 of the Have We Made It Yet podcast. Two, numero dos. Oh, for a second there, I forgot. That would have been embarrassing if I forgot what, what that was. But welcome back. It's the podcast where two Asian creatives talk about the process of making it with our friends. My name is Josh Yang. I'm one of the co-hosts and comedian portion of the podcast. This feels so good to do it again. My name is Lucas Ng, the actor portion of this podcast. Yes, and it's been it's been a while. Like before, I think initially we thought maybe we'd be off for about a month, but hey, you know, opportunities come here and there. Lucas had a, a great opportunity to uh, get a get a contract going, and uh, so we decided, hey, you know what? We're the masters of our own domain. We mm-hmm. we we can bring this podcast back when it when it fits our schedule <laughs> i mean at this point fits out i mean we love our audience uh our, our few audience members loyal loyal audience members uh for coming back but uh hey we felt like we now was the time to come back and we're gonna come back strong uh but hey lucas you know we have to start the series off with with mm-hmm. our question yes have you made it yet no i have not made it yet um I came to a realization and I think it's probably healthier to think this way too, as I've, you know, I went on a bunch of different like workshops for acting and everything like that. You know what, Josh, and for whoever else is listening, it's better to care less. That's not mean to be lazy, does not mean to be apathetic about your craft, but the best thing you can do is put your best foot forward and literally forget about it. If you really want to, throw away your side auditions. Throw away your audition sides after the audition. Just throw it out. Forget about it. Because mm. the best thing is when you book it and you don't even remember it. Because it's a pleasant surprise. Um, wow. So mm. I'm really trying to instill that kind of uh, forced amnesia. Because caring about this stuff just hurts too much, Josh. <laughs> Uh, but but no no josh touched on it Uh, i worked a cool job on a um on a pretty cool warner brothers movie as a production coordinator and that was intense but it was good to uh get those production coordinator skills down set so thanks for all the fans that are now listening back for season two because we are back um for josh though mr josh yang yeah yeah have you made it yet i have not made it yet but hey you know what? The moment where I felt like, oh, this feels like it's this is what it's like to be a comedian last year when uh-huh. I did the uh, the Fresh Rice Comedy Showcase at Glenn Gould Studio. Hey, you know what? You know what? It's finally coming out. Finally, the 
the pro- professionally shot, well lit, well shot in front of a big audience. And um, that show, that performance, that set is finally going to come out in May. And that's going to be just a big, that's just a big moment. That is long time coming, long time with, with the patience of waiting through it, you know, going through a whole pandemic that uh, definitely put a wrench in the schedule, mm-hmm. but it's nice to finally feel like it's where we're so close. And uh, basically when this podcast comes out, the Fresh Rice uh, web series, which is how we're going to be releasing all of the sets for all the performers, all the eight Asian performers, Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll start off tonight, Tuesday, Tuesday night, uh, with Anna Luo. 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 I, okay, I, I made a bad choice there. I wasn't sure if I was going to go halfway through the Mandarin pronunciation or just Anglo- <laughs> Anglicize it. Uh, so, Luo. Oh, geez. No, I'm getting tongue-tied now. Okay, Anna Luo. I'm going to stick to that. So, she her set is going to... Re- start kick us off and it's gonna release uh tonight so go check it out after you lift listen to this episode <laughs> and basically every week especially because it's may asian heritage month in celebration of that we're gonna release one new comedy set every tuesday thursday every week of may and mine is gonna come out may 11th so very excited about that being able to finally show and share uh, that whole performance, which Lucas, you were there. You can you can attest to. That was that was that was a fun time. Great crowd, great crowd, man. And we loved your stuff, man. It was awesome. Yeah. So that's that's how I'm I'm making it a little bit more, a little bit closer um, yeah. to making it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. And I'm excited that we're back. And just to give a little bit of an update, uh, we're gonna come back a little bit different now. We're gonna have a a different schedule before we were doing it uh, weekly and we managed to put out 52 episodes, which is insane. Looking back now that we've had a bit of a break, it's like, I don't even, I don't even know how we managed to do that. But I think uh, moving forward, uh, I mean, given our, like, we're going to get busy again. um, And for me, like work is also getting a little busy. So we're going to try and manage, get that balance in between, you know, day, day, day work and then also pursuing um, creative endeavors so we're gonna go to once every two weeks so bi-weekly yeah. we're gonna release this podcast then and then in between we might release some clips as well uh, just to get some uh, content going but uh, in terms of full podcast we're gonna release it uh, once every two weeks so look forward to that keep that in your schedule if you're keeping a schedule of, of our, our little podcast that could. Um, but yeah, you know, it's going to be an, a fun year. It's going to be a new year. Hopefully with yeah. COVID coming down, things will open up more. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, Lucas, what are you looking forward to this year in terms of, you know, starting off this series too? Um, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know what? I'm going to try for big fishies this year. And by big, big fishies, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a personal goal to uh, get get guests that are that are of the scene and that keep it a surprise. I try to get big fishies. Yeah, you got a you got a list. You got a list going on. You're checking yeah. it twice, and mm-hmm. uh, 
we're gonna we're gonna try and get those 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 big bigger big names i don't know in this world of perpetual growth i guess like we just have to keep going until we get like tom hanks onto the podcast for some weird reason yeah but um yeah i guess for me looking forward to uh, having those conversations again and then seeing how we progress, you know, in the, in the year of making it. Cause for this podcast, that's the whole idea, just mm-hmm. seeing the, the progression of, of that process, the ups and downs, you know, the successes, the failures, the, um, the wins and the losses, it's all part no of doubt. it. No doubt. And um, yeah. However, now that we've got our little bits out of the, out of the way, I'm very mm-hmm. excited for our guest today, kicking off series two. I couldn't have thought of a better guest to kick us off. Uh, he's actually very pivotal to my initial career and my initial you know, experience getting into comedy um, in terms of the opportunities that manage to um, present itself. Uh, our first guest has been in the comedy scene for quite a while, 15 years, both on and off the stage. He is the producer and showrunner of the Rice Asian Comedy Showcase, which had their first Asian, all Asian showcase last year, in, mm. last year, 20, 2019. Uh, because COVID took a year out of our lives without, <laughs> without us remembering. Uh, yeah. But that started a wave in Toronto uh, for Asian comedy. And it really pinnacled itself, hit the height uh, last year during the Rice Comedy uh, sh- Showcase that was filmed at CBC Glenn Gould Studio and mm-hmm. the Fresh Rice Comedy Showcase that was filmed right after. So it was an all-Asian uh, comedy showcase. It really managed to bring some of the best performers in the city, some of the newest uh, Asian voices in the city as well, uh, to do comedy on one night. And we're definitely thankful for this guest who has, you know, comedian, producer, showrunner, philanthropist, and host of various podcasts, including the Rice Asian Comedy Podcast. And I got to put this out there. He is the self-proclaimed official spokesperson for gay, super cute Asians. Gay, super cute Asians. I got to get that right. Uh, please welcome Mr. Vong Sho. There we hey, go. Hey, what up? What up? Thanks for having me. What up? What up? That's right. That's also another one of your, uh, <laughs> your t- time and tested catchphrases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I open, I open every show with what up, what up? Um, and I usually close every, at least my podcast, I close every podcast with that's what's up. Just, you know, bring it full circle. That's what's up. That's, that's what you got to do. You gotta, you gotta make sure you keep putting that out there consistent. So that's how you build that uh, recognition name recognition. Well, we're very happy to have Mr. Vong show on the show. And you know what? The show wouldn't be the show. If we didn't ask you, Mr. Vong show, have you made it yet? Not even close, not even close. And I I think for different people making it means different things. And for me, it's never been about credits or festivals or getting on a show or doing this. To me, it's always been about what venues I can play. So Mm. for me, um, it's the big goal is the Apollo in New York. That's my dream. I've dreamed of it when I was a young kid. You know, I've got several other 
like that's like really high on, on the rungs. It'll take me a while. But like I've got other places like, you know, with, um, you know, on the list, of course, was the, the CBC, um, Glenn Gould Studio. Next on the list for Toronto is Massey Hall. Right. I've got a five-year plan. I was like, if I can't sell out Massey Hall in my own town, then what's the point of trying to make it big somewhere else? And then after Massey Hall, that's New York time. That's... The, if I, if I ever, to me, making it is selling out the Apollo Theater. That's that's definitely my dream. Nice, nice. And it's like, I think that's, that's that is like great milestones to establish because it does showcase mm-hmm. your ability to draw a crowd, bring in a crowd, your name recognition um, and your quality of your comedy within a specific scene. And, and like in general, it is hard for comedians to go from one scene to another scene unless you have national recognition or, or on like a nationally syndicated show. But it's like that in general is, is tough. But if you can show that you can, you know, make yeah. it in your home scene, then, you know, pursue uh, other things. But like Apollo Theater, very mm-hmm. famous very yeah. uh has some that's a quite a scene like what what about the apollo theater is the one that uh that's for you i like it because they will boo you off if you suck they booed <laughs> off lauren hill as a 13 year old they they booed her off the stage crying so for me it's like i just love an audience that like you like I, I love an audience where they're kind of sitting there and they're, you know, with their arms crossed and they're like, you know, make me laugh, bitch. Like that's, that's what I want. And that's the attitude of New York. They don't care. There's no sympathy. There's, there's no sympathy. There's no like pity claps. So, you know, if you kill the Apollo, that's like the ultimate recognition. Like they will boo Chris Rock off the stage if he doesn't bring it that night. Like he, they don't care who you are. They don't care how famous you are. You better bring it that night. And that's what I love about the Apollo. Honestly, it's the ultimate challenge. Yeah. And that, that sounds really, I mean, that sounds in tune to like, you know, my experience um, working with you and, and knowing how, like what kind of crowds you like in -hmm. general. And like, from what I've seen, like you, you don't care about how uncomfortable you make the crowd. You're there to speak your truth, speak your comedy. And like the more uncomfortable the crowd is, the, the, it seems like the more you relish it. Yeah, I would say, <laughs> I would say, so, um, so part of it is because I started out my career in Alberta yeah. and I was the only Asian comedian, the only gay comedian, never mind gay and Asian in like the first 10 years of my career. Like, I think people see me doing these Asian shows and seeing, doing like these gay shows and they think that's been my career. No, that is not been my career. <laughs> yeah. My career was going into small little towns who literally people come after you after a show and they're like... I've never met an Asian before in my life. <laughs> and so, and actually, so the, um, the tagline that you mentioned, the official spokesperson, so back then I, I was like, I was probably like 22 when I came up with that. And um, it was uh, originally, it was official spokesperson for young gay super cute Asians, but obviously mm. they took out the young because I'm old now. But <laughs> that was for Alberta specifically because um when I would, I'd have to introduce the fact that I was gay and then make them get over it right away. Mm. So I'd have to say official spokesperson for young gay. Then I'd pause, the crowd would gasp out of a shock. And then I'd say super cute. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, he's cool. So it was literally written to win over a hostile crowd. So there is a part of me that's a little bit like that. And also like with the Apollo, like, so I grew, I grew up in Winnipeg and people don't know like Winnipeg. When I say I'm from the ghetto, people don't get it because they're like, oh, it's Winnipeg. But Winnipeg is the murder capital of Canada. The, uh, 
the uh, violent crime capital of Canada. And like, it's like um, the neighborhood I grew up in was called, was nicknamed Murder Lane because it has the most murders per capita of any neighborhood in Canada. And so like where I grew up, like there is, there is no sympathy and that's the type of comedy we have. Like, I remember when I, when I was younger, I was like run over by, by a car and, um, you know, and I, when I went back to school, it's like, they ripped, they ripped me to shit. Like they would like (laughs) make fun of like my back spasms. (laughs) They would like, Oh wow. But thing is where I grew up, that's like, it's a form of love. And I know this is like very different from like the new, you know, uh, Gen Z kind of thing. But like for us, if we didn't like you, we'd ignore you. Mm. If, if we're making fun of you, that's an invitation to like clap back and then you go back and forth. And so it, it, it's even, I don't know I'm jumping around, but like I, I remember when, when it came out to my friends, it was the first time they didn't make fun of me for like anything like they'll make fun of like even like disabilities and such but they wouldn't make fun of me for being gay until a month in and then they started making gay jokes and i was like okay now i know now they're Mm. cool with it because they just started saying like some crazy homophobic shit and i was like okay we're cool again we're cool again yeah maybe they just needed time to do the research i mean they just had to they had to go back to the writing board and like get some get some one-liners off uh-huh. Do, do you know what it was? Was so at the time I was uh, I was president of the gay club at the University of Manitoba, and they walked past our club office mm-hmm. and they saw me being massaged by like these two lesbians because I don't know the lesbians were like giving me this like tutorial on how to massage and they're like okay they're like you know all of a sudden they started coming to like the gay events they're like we're here to support Vaughn. And I was like, okay, bitch, I, I, I know why you're here, but that's okay. That's okay. And then um, they kind of they kind of got over it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you did briefly touch upon already university there. Um, so I did know from researching that you did have a start in engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, what was there was was there a set of moments that you had in your engineering background that made you realize it wasn't for you and that you wanted to pursue comedy instead? Well, it was so it was it was funny. So <laughs> There were two moments. Um, one was getting run over by a car. Um, oh I, I, I get run over by cars a lot in the ghetto, apparently. Um, and so then I was out of school for, this was University of Manitoba, I was out of school for about almost two years, like one and a half, two years. And at the time I was like doing really well. I was like Dean's List, you know, like classic overachiever, you know, straight A everything. And then I got like run over, I'm out of school. I come back and this is where the ego feeds in because I'll be perfectly honest, like a lot of my friends who, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep it real. Cause this is like growing, growing up in the, I was like a lot of my friends who were like a lot dumber than me ended up like graduating and becoming my TAs and my ego like couldn't handle it. I was like, oh. I was like, no, like this hoe is not grading my paper. Like, <laughs> This dumbass hoe is not greeting my paper. So then I moved to University of Calgary. He's like, I fucking need a new start. Um, and then uh, and then I, I made it to like, um, I almost finished. And then I was playing sports and my knee exploded. And then I was out of school again. And at that point, I was like, oh, you man. know what? Sometimes you need to listen to the universe. <laughs> and that was me listening to the universe I was like f this shit I'm not how many times do I have to get back um on the horse and have some horrible tragic um thing happen and then 
going through rehab, I was like, no. Oh. So I was, I was over it. Um, and yeah. And then at that time I had already been doing like a lot of different human rights things. Hmm. Um, you know, because when I moved to Calgary, I didn't understand like, you know, like the Asians there were so oppressed, but they like accepted it. So I was just like, this place is crazy. So I was like, just super outspoken about everything. So then I started organizing like human rights conferences. Um, and then, um, so and that was while I was still in school. So after I left school, that was sort of my main thing. And then that's how comedy got started because I wanted to make a difference, but I kind of found that everybody I spoke to at a human rights conference was already like proud of themselves. Like I was preaching to the converted Mm-hmm. like everybody already agreed with me so I was like and this is where the 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 hostile audience comes in I was like no I was like I don't want people to agree with me I want to go to people who don't understand they're being oppressed and like sort of show them to like stand up for themselves so that's why I went into all like these like small towns and whatever um to to spread the message because yeah like I said what's what's the point it's just self-congratulatory to like get up there and speak to people who already agree with you right yeah, no, that's that's that that's true. And if anything, that's that is a much more uh, kind of a selfless kind of motivation than in it, like than you would normally get starting off in comedy, right? Like, is that what did you really uh, rely on that goal, that kind of drive to push you to continuously do the small towns and in, in conservative uh, Alberta? <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not the most welcoming environment for sure. Uh, but like, is that help? What helped you get through those cold nights in Alberta? I assume. You know, it 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 definitely did, and also that's why I I, I came up with the official spokesperson thing because mm. I actually didn't call myself a stand up comedian because for me it wasn't just about comedy. I really did want to be like a spokesperson for my community. So it's in a funny line, but it actually is about speaking up for you know the community I grew up with because like where I grew up, we we're in a school of a thousand, and seven people went to university and two people graduated. So mm. like. Our stories aren't getting out there. Nobody knows what happened in our community. So for me, when I say official spokesperson, I literally just want to speak up for my people and tell our stories because nobody else is telling them. Yeah, no. And, um, and like from from what we've seen, like you, you took that experience in Calgary and then eventually you made it um, down into the States and, mm-hmm. you know, that the American comedy scene is definitely very different and like you've yeah. shared some um experiences uh takeaways from that but like i guess in in this element of you know this mindset of making it you know any kind of opportunity or moment that you manage to catch upon you know that gives you that inch closer you know that's yeah. definitely a win and like in terms of your american television debut in, in 2010 mm-hmm. on mtv's one night stand yeah. um that's definitely quite a moment like how was your feeling you know getting that moment and then performing and then like getting that sense is like wow this this feels a bit this feels closer to making it it's it's funny that was a huge moment in my career yeah it was so it, it, it was a huge moment both good and bad first the good was I was just super excited about everything I was so new I was like what like oh I was, I guess I was still in my, in my late twenties at the time I went, 
Um, you know, we, we went to film in San Francisco. I was staying at this hotel called the Phoenix, which is famous for like a lot of like rock and roll stars overdosing and dying there. Um, and we did the we did the taping at the Great American Music Hall, which is like mm-hmm. crazy. Like, Disney, Josh, like if, if you think the CBC, um, Glenn Gould Studios, nice, like this is crazy. This is like where Aretha Franklin sang. And like, it was like, oh my God, it, it was crazy the experience was amazing um but it, it it also taught me a lot too because i like the actual editing of the comedy wasn't up to me and mm. they re-edited me as like a one-liner comedian and i'm like a narrative like i'll write 20 minutes of a story and it kind of has to go in the right order but they like they took it out of order um and they totally presented me in the wrong way and like uh you know I, it, like, it sounds like i'm being like ungrateful here but i feel like it's long enough that they won't be mad at me for talking about this but it was actually kind of horrifying the way i was oh, being presented it was like my right. first introduction to the american market and i was like wow this is not this is not my style of comedy. Um, I'm I'm not a one-liner um, comedian at all, which is great. I think one-liner comedians are terrific. It, that's just not me. And so honestly, I had a bit of like an emotional breakdown. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, it, actually, so, so, so there are two things. There was like the actual taping of it. And then there was when I saw the edit. Mm-hmm. So the taping of it was crazy. So at that time I had already moved to Toronto um, and I was having quite a good, uh, you know, uh, corporate career. I was working at, at the National Post, and I had made. Um, I I was the the I was the youngest. I was the youngest person on their executive by almost like fifteen years. Um, I ran like a, a whole operations team and and all that. And so when I went down for the filming, I think they could tell that I there was like a 50-50 chance of me leaving the company. Hmm. And so, because usually what happens is if you get your first national TV special in the U.S., you move. Like there's Hmm. no, you have about six months of heat and that's it. If you do not capitalize on those six months, they'll have already released like 10 other specials in that half a year and nobody knows who you are. So Hmm. you have like six months to get down there, get to LA, make all the connections while everybody still wants to talk to you. And so I, so there, there were a few things happening. I, I know I'm, I'm kind of jumping around because that moment in California and San Francisco was so seminal in my career because it's actually when I walked away from comedy for seven years, like when I was at the height, literally right after I filmed my, my special for MTV. So what happened was, so I had planned the very first Comedy Cares show um, in Toronto, and um, it was, uh, it was, it, I, I forget the exact date, but I, I had planned it. Um, I was working at National Post, so Comedy Cares, it's a foundation that I founded. It, we raise money um, um, for, for worthy causes by connecting, you know, causes with comedians and all that. Mm-hmm. And because I was working with the National Post, they came on and, and sponsored us. So they were giving us like these eight page spreads and all this crazy shit. Um, and so it was like a really, really big show for me. And it was my first time headlining. So I was doing 45 minutes. I was producing it. I was marketing it. Um, and it, it, it was really huge. And um, 
you know, I got a lot of support from the Toronto comedians, like um, uh, a, a comedian who's who's no longer with us, um, jo- Joanna Downey. Um, mm. She's a Toronto legend. She actually emceed for me, um, and and Allison June Smith um, opened for me. And and just to put this in 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 in, in perspective, like. I was just a nobody at that time. Like I had only moved to Toronto. I was probably in Toronto for like a year or two. And like these big names, it was sort of like their way of giving me like their stamp of approval. Mm. Because if they're like, we'll open for this guy, that's basically telling everybody, you know, this guy is legit because they're not going to open for somebody who like sucks. Um, And so I had that huge show. And then I was also raising money on another show um, this time for, um, it was for um, it was for uh, gay gay um, uh, gay youth sports, and so I had these two shows, and they were like um, two weeks apart, um, and then so I'm planning all this stuff, and then the MTV thing came up, and it was literally in between the two shows, so oh. it was like back to back to back, and the thing is. Not only was it my first time headlining and then also my first, um, you know, comedy special. And then it, it was like all of these audiences. So you think of like, you know, a charity audience. Then mm-hmm. you think of MTV. Then you think of a gay audience. I couldn't reuse any of the same material. So I had mm-hmm. to write three headlining <laughs> sets to perform back to back to back. Jeez. And all of this, so, okay, so I make it through the first two, um, <laughs> probably not as good as I would have liked, um, but, you know, the first Comedy Cares worked out, sold out, you know, obviously when you have, like, a national newspaper chain to help you promote something, um, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's very advantageous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I did the, the other charity show, um, oh, no, actually the other charity show came after. But so then I I boarded the plane to San Francisco literally right after I got off um, of, 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 of the stage for Comedy Cares. And then I got there and I performed and like I was so tired and so spent that I literally like, okay, so after I got off of the after I got off of performing for, for MTV, I literally collapsed. <laughs> they brought me back to the hotel and I was bedridden for seven days. So <laughs> like MTV had to like assign me a, or not, or not MTV. It was like the production company that sold it to mm-hmm. MTV. So anyway, but I'll just say like M- MTV for short, but obviously MTV doesn't produce it. There's a production company anyway. Um, right. So, uh, so, so quote unquote um, MTV had to send me like an assistant to give me food. Cause I couldn't get out of bed. It was like, I held on to so much stress and it was such a big moment that I like totally collapsed. Um mm-hmm. And then I got back to Toronto. Um, I had to like kind of like muster up um, what little energy I had left, even though I had none, um, to do the the next charity show. And then, um, you know, and then this is where it goes back to my career um, at National Post. They could tell that I was, you know, had to make a decision on whether I'm going to go to L.A. or not. Um, and so they literally, and I say this literally, they literally tripled my pay. Oh, wow. And like, like up to my title. And I was like, 
holy shit. And so just, just, just so for, for, for an example, like with, um, with national post, the reason why, um, they needed me was when I was in, um, when I was in, in, in Calgary, um, they had launched their website and, you know, I was like just this, like 20 year old kid. I didn't, I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And their website was so messed up. And I had to do like the Calgary part of the launch for like the classifieds that I was, I like literally, I, I, I can't even believe that I did this, but I only did this because I was like young. I wrote like a 200 page, like manual on all the shit they were doing wrong (laughs) with the website launch. And as you can imagine with newspapers, they don't have like a, a lot of young thinkers, um, right. People would leave for like TV or broadcast and such. And so I was lucky because there was an executive in Toronto who felt the same way that we we're making all the wrong decisions. And so he he got a copy of what I wrote and he used it as evidence to take over the website um, in Toronto. And so um, and so, you know, then, you know, they sort of hired me to come over to Toronto and help um, as project manager for part of the, the website yeah. relaunch. So anyway, so they were like intent to not lose me. Um, and then my experience was so crazy and I collapsed and everything, everything just sort of went crazy. And, you know, this is where I, you know, th- this is like the big breaking point. I had to make a decision. And my decision was, unfortunately, when I look back, I didn't think of it at the time, but when I think back, like, you know, I basically sold out. I, I took the money. I took the money. <laughs> Three times, man. No one's going to blame you. Oh, my God. It was more money than I would ever. Like, I grew up in the ghetto. So for me, my big dream growing up, like, my big dream, it doesn't sound crazy to Toronto people, but, like, when you're from, like, not a big city and it's, like, a poor city, my big dream was to someday make $40,000. Like, that was, like, if I make 40000 like, I've made it. Like, that's that's like a prairie kid's dream. Like that's like professional. Yeah. You've, you've, you've made it. And so the money they're throwing at me was just so much. I was just, you know, and like, you know, like you said, with the experience in LA, but Oh my God, you know, obviously. I, I did, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I did want to ask you a bit about like, cause you know, even back in, in, uh, in Matt, in Winnipeg, you had like aspirations and goals and you already had like a dream and everything. Um, contextually, like what you did with mm-hmm. fresh rice and everything, yeah. you had smaller showcases all around the city with fresh rice culminating mm-hmm. in that one great yep. CBC show at Glen Gould Theater. Um, it almost felt like an adventure's buildup in terms of like all your, you know, like you're setting your little shows all over the place and then culminating into one big uh, production. How important do you think it is for creatives like actors and comedians to really plan ahead and have targets for the future, like what you were doing? I think, I think it's really important. I, I think it's a little bit different for for actors because I, I, you know, I, I do a little bit of acting. It's not really my thing. Um, nice. Like I, I always tell people when I tell my agent, like I'll act, but basically I'm playing myself. So like find roles where that's me. Yeah. You know, like a lot of a lot of like stand-up comedians, when you see them on film, they're not exactly like, you know, being a character actor. They're just versions of themselves. So anyway, so on the acting thing, I think with acting, you can still like like get discovered based on your based on your skills, based on your agent, based on like submitting for the right roles, um, and just, you know, really killing it on auditions. I think for a comedian, it's really important to own your market because mm-hmm. like 
in comedy, if you like, quote unquote, make it in Canadian comedy, if you play every festival, if every booker loves you and books you all the time, like still nobody knows who the hell you are. Like, it's not, it's like, you're trying to climb to the top of a mountain that when you're at the top, you're still living in your mom's basement or in an apartment with like six comedians. And like, I'm not saying this to be like mean, like I actually have, like, I know like most of the headliners that headline like, like, you know, the different clubs in Canada. And it's just, that's just it. You make it to the top of a system that, there's, there's nowhere to go. Like you don't like, so for me, I recognized very early. I was like, why am I going to play in that system when the reward, you know, like this is why credits don't matter to me as much. And like I said, I don't want to throw shade at the different festivals. Cause I think like the festivals in Canada are amazing. They really promote comedy and they're well-produced. But for me, I know people who have like credits at all the festivals and still nobody knows who the hell they are. That's why like, I even like when, when, I, when I'm on a show, and they ask me what my credits are. I always say I, I don't want to give credits because nobody cares. The audience doesn't care if you go up and they're like, oh, you've been here or there, whatever. They're just like, you know, bitch, make me laugh. Like, that's, like they just really don't care. Um, and so for huh. me, that's why I wanted to like build up my own audience. Um, so with like, um, huh. so like with the, with the rice Asian comedy thing, a, a, a lot, a big part of that was because um so you know like you know I, I think that there's another thing wrong too with the 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 canadian system of you know like i said there's only so far to go but the other thing too is it's it wasn't my audience i think if you're like mm. a straight white guy it it might get you somewhere it might get you a tv show but it's like one thing i learned is like you know they're never gonna love you like that they're never gonna love you like someone who's who's their own even if like listen if so when i was out west i used to like tour do different like clubs like like at Yuck or comic strip and everything and it's like even if i was the best comedian by a mile and like they even if the audience thought as the best comedian the best reaction i would get is oh yeah i like that kid uh yeah that gay asian guy oh yeah what's his name i forget and like that's literally the best you could hope for and that's not how you're gonna build like like a career because it's also like you know if people are going to the show because mm -hmm. of the name on the door instead of your name then you're not building an audience like mm -hmm. i don't mm -hmm. like for me I want people to come because they saw my face on a poster because they know who I am because one of their friends is like, go see him. If it's like doing comedy where they show up at a club and then they're like, Oh yeah, here's some random comedian. Like you're <laughs> never, it's never like, that's not a career. That's yeah. It's yeah. That's yeah. And like, I, I would definitely agree with that sentiment. And especially now, if you kind of see what the different opportunities are out there with social media mm -hmm. and, um, being able to build a community and then with all just the different business tools you can actually do merchandising mm -hmm. you can self-merchandise create your own shop and if you have a loyal following then you can actually market and capitalize on that like that's a whole new now revenue stream that comedians don't need to follow this uh, kind of systemic uh, setup in order yeah. to succeed because if you build your own community then you, that's your income source that your that's your yeah. audience source and that's how you can um, build a career. 
Yeah, and absolutely. And with with the rice shows, it's funny that the Lucas that you mentioned the um the 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 uh, Avengers because that was actually the plan. So uh, less so for fresh rice, but for like the 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 rice show, the um the the one that took place earlier in the evening, it actually was that. So the four headliners and the host, uh, Ron Jossel, um, we did five rice shows leading up to the CBC show, and each one we each headlined one and that was like our solo movie. And uh-huh. then, you know, to, to bring it all together is like, this is the one with all five headliners in one show. So it, it, it like, it helped to sell it. And it also, you know, it built up that audience because each show people saw, um, you know, we, we were like the main event and then you put like five people who are the main event into one show. And that's, um, that's definitely easier to sell. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. And, and I, I think from that, like, I, I know, like I'm interested and I'm sure um, people who are interested in making, especially as a comedian, like sometimes if the opportunities are there, you make your own opportunity. And like, that's, that's an element where, you know, it, it was, it just happened to be like good timing. It was like a good connection in terms of being able to connect with you as well and being at the right moment at the right time for this opportunity. Cause I remember it was like, I got introduced to you through, um, through Fawad uh, mm-hmm. HP, another Toronto comedian who was like my teacher yeah. uh, for the uh, LOL comedy class of it, absolute comedy. And that's, mm-hmm. that was my first step in and that connection helped lead to, kind of this Asian comedy writing group that we had uh, Mm -hmm. for a couple months uh, in 2019 or yeah, 2019. (laughs) Again, with the pandemic, all the years are mixed up. It's I keep thinking that is last year, but it's not last year. (laughs) But but yeah, like I remember that was what led to this community and being able to be there to have those um, discussions. And I remember that moment where it was like you first brought that idea up after yeah. uh, one of those sessions where you, me, and uh, Anto Chan just got some food uh, nearby. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. like that discussion is like, you're doing this rice show. And like you thought, it's like, maybe there's an opportunity there to also, you know, yeah. produce this other show and, and introduce a lot more, give a lot more comedians that opportunity. Um, like those are sometimes the weird type of like, be at the right place at the right time opportunities mm-hmm. that you can get. like looking back in your career, like how many times would you say, or like, is there a moment that you felt like is like, wow, it just so happens right moment at the Mm -hmm. right time. And I was focused enough and driven enough to take that opportunity. You know, what's funny. I actually think my career is the opposite. (laughs) It's the opposite of that is whenever there's a right moment, I ran away from it. Um, Like to tell you the truth and listen, this doesn't sound like, 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 like super egotistical, but my moment was after that MTV show. I did not make the right decision. I was like still in my twenties and you know, the character I had built so that, you know, official spokesperson for young gay super cute Asians, like that's a sellable character that could have been sold. It's not a character I can do anymore. Now my character is like old chunky Asian, which is like fine, but it's not, it's not as sellable as like fresh face young Asian. And so for me, it's, I feel like I've built up my career, um, you know, less from like being in the right place at the right time, but just like making my own opportunities. Mm. And any time where the opportunity actually presented itself, I actually made the wrong decision because that, that would have been the time. And, you know, like I said, like you can only look, look back so far. I made the decision I made. I left comedy for seven years and I've been back for three, but like, 
that was the time like and especially from like a producer perspective like would I rather market the 20 the 20 year old version of me or the 40 year old version of me like that kid I have no doubt that kid already would have sold out the Apollo theater. And instead Mm -hmm. now I'm like, I'm trying to get back there like as a 40 year old. And it's like, Oh my God, like, can you like start a movement being so fucking old? Whereas back then, you know, like, like to have that character where you could go on stage and call yourself super cute, but like, it's not ironic where you you're so young that you actually believe it. And they like see how much you actually believe it, but to still be likable and to be like that cocky and likable was like, to me, the best stage character I had. And now I'm transitioning to a different stage character, but as a producer, that's a much easier sell of a character. Um, but that being said, whatever passes past, I'm only semi over it. <laughs> but um, but um, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you did briefly just touch upon like, your former years and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you just recently did an interview with the CBC and mm-hmm. uh, you were talking about the changing face of Marvel superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that, and this is a quote from you there. I read that my reaction to seeing the trailer of Shang-Chi, by the way, I was crying. As a kid, mm-hmm. I internalized that and I couldn't see myself. I didn't have the emotional tools to really figure out what I was really feeling. You know, since reflecting on saying that statement, mm-hmm. um, have you had a chance to articulate what you really were feeling and what were those emotions i don't know i'm not even sure if 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 words would do it justice it's just when you don't see yourself represented and then finally you do there's like a release um Mm -hmm. a release that you didn't even know that you needed um and even even as old as i am like to have that type of um, to have that type of moment just watching the trailer just shows that, you know, there's just so much more work to do. Like, I, as, as great as a moment as that is for me, I hope that for the next generation, they don't have to have that moment because mm-hmm. they're just like flooded with diversity. Um, mm-hmm. That would be, that'd yeah. be my hope. And you yeah. started it, man. You started it. Oh, thank you. You know, you know yeah. what it was? Um, so there's, so there's two things with, with the rice show, like, um, it was honestly not about the diversity. I'll be perfectly honest. What oh. it was, was the, like, to me, the five best comedians in Canada were all Asian. And like, I'd been doing comedy for 15 years. I was like, this has never happened before. I was like, this is crazy. I was like, I need to do something with these people because they're going to get famous and move away. And this is like, I, I guess maybe if you're asking me, you know, when, when there was like a perfect opportunity, I would say this was one of those times. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is never going to happen where the top five, in my opinion, the top five comedians in Canada were all Asian. And this isn't based on credits or all that shit. This is just based on like actual technical skill. Um, And I was like, if we can get this together, this is going to blow up because, um, you know, for me with with diversity, um, you know, because I'm, I'm an old school comedian. So, you know, diversity is nice, but the reason why I want to do the Apollo is it's like, if, if you suck, you oh, still suck. Good point, <laughs> so, good point, yeah. And so for me, I didn't want to just do like a diverse show. I wanted it to be the five best comedians in Canada. And holy mm-hmm. shit, they're all Asian. Like, that's what I wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, you know, a, a, a really big proof point I can give about that is it's like, you know, 
it, it's not like I only have one choice of doing like Asian shows. I could have like I could have done like a gay show at the CBC. I could have done an immigrant show. I could have done, you know, poor people. show. I, I don't know. Like, you know, I've, I've, I'm like a part of a lot of minorities. And so for me, it wasn't about being a minority because I could have just chosen any other minority. And honestly, probably like selling a gay show is even a bit easier um, than selling an Asian show. So for me, it was literally like, no, these are like the five fucking best comedians. And, you know, and we're going to do a show together. And, you know, and, and for those people who, who are paying um, close attention listening, yes, I am including myself in that five because I was part of the show. So nice. <laughs> yes, I, I am just as cocky as I was when I was young. But it was, um, it was that moment. And also... Um, here's here's another cocky thing too, where I was like, I wanted the challenge of like headlining a show with who I thought were the five best comedians. And one thing you learn very quickly in stand-up mm-hmm. comedy is at most somebody will remember one comedian. Like mm-hmm. they don't remember their second favorite comedian of the night. So I was like, I wanna be on the stage with the best. So we're all competing to be the one who's remembered that night. And I I wanted that pressure because we were taping and I was like, I don't want to have like an easy show and set in front of like supportive Asians and all this shit. I was like, I need like a level of danger. <laughs> um, and they're so good that if I didn't bring my A game, then I would have been the one who's forgotten. And also, um, the other thing too was because I was so worried about production and all that stuff, I knew if the comedians weren't that good, I probably would have focused on production and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was like, these guys are so good. If I don't kill it, I'm going to look like an idiot because these guys are going to bring it and they don't have to worry about nothing else. And right. so, um, you know, I'm not saying I was the most memorable out of all of them, but at least for some people I was. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. Like, it's it's better to be like the favorite comedian of a certain portion of the audience and like the most forgettable for the rest than to be (laughs) like kind of like second or third place across the board. Like nobody will remember you. So (laughs) dude, your bit about designing sport uniforms for your sports league. (laughs) Great bit. Great bit. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's actually a preview. So that's not me. So I'm actually releasing my, my album later this year. That's actually not going to make it on Hmm. the Albums are like, so for, um, for, you know, so, so the, the ratio, we taped it on Chinese new year because it was all Asian material. Mm. And so the album actually ends after my chunky Asian Buddha joke. <laughs> and then the, um, the super power bottoms, that part of it, the, the gay volleyball, yeah. that was actually just because I knew like a quarter of the audience was gay. And like Hannah Gadsby has said before, if you have a gay audience come out and you don't tell a gay joke, they will be furious with you. So that was more my like, okay, here, I've got to give something to the gays after I like do my regular material. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, well, you got to know your audience. You got to be able to give uh, your audience what, what they want. And um, yeah, I mean, definitely for, for my part, I was very grateful and, and thankful for the opportunity to be able to just get not only just on like a stage, but be in front of a large audience and get that feeling. Cause definitely when I walked out, I would say in terms of making it, that was definitely the first experience where I could say like, this feels like what I thought like a comedian would be like, just be able to walk out with the lights um, in a big theater and be able to perform 
and uh, and just the mere fact that we're, we're, we managed to um, mm-hmm. have the timing work out well. You know, all the equipment was there. People uh, were uh, hired to to do the shooting and be able to get that moment shot on tape. That's like I couldn't have asked for a better opportunity. And uh, definitely, you know, these type of moments, it does take a lot of work. And I want to thank you for thank putting you. in the work and like putting in having the um, drive to take that idea you had to give this opportunity uh, to to the eight performers uh, this this platform. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I want to thank all, you know, definitely you, Josh, and all the other Fresh Rice comedians, because it was a different kind of show because yeah. like it was really a joint effort because obviously we, we were filming the early show. Um, and so like a lot of my focus had to be on that. And also like, you know, it's sort of like what I told the Fresh Rice comedians when we first thought of the idea was, you know, I'm not just for laughs. I don't have a $10 million grant from the government. I'm like a single person living in like a co-op that, you know, is basically a battered women's shelter. So it was like, I'm not like independently wealthy. Like I, so I was like, this is only going to work if everybody like, like chips in. So like, you know, everything from like marketing the show to you know to selling tickets to writing I remember we you know there's like three months of writing because my thing was you know this goes back to the quality thing you know mm-hmm. and like I would say like diversity is great but not if not if they suck like I'm yeah. not putting I ain't putting people on stage who suck so you guys really worked through we worked on your writing for like three months we had two rehearsals and you Listen, Josh, you, you went through the whole thing and it's yeah. like, I was not easy on you guys. I was like, this is not going to happen with crappy comedy. I don't care. I do not want fucking sympathy laughs um, up there. We want real laughs because you guys are like really funny. And, um, you know, and, and just sort of going back to the whole idea of fresh rice, it was it was sort of, um, you know, so so we we had the CBC booked. And we had the we had the the crew to a certain point, and you know the thinking was you know we could save like a lot of costs if we like do two shows, um, and this would be like an opportunity um, for new Asian comedians. You know, selfishly on my part too, I was thinking, you know what, I want to do rice again, and if I don't help new Asian comedians, I'm gonna keep booking the same fucking four comedians, right. and <laughs> like. You know, like, and they're not going to be available. Like, like, like Jennifer Shung, who's on the show now, she's like a right. TV news anchor. And I was like, I knew this shit would happen because they're just too talented. You know, <laughs> like Leonard Jin, he's like, now he's like writing on like the three network TV shows. I was like, mm-hmm. I was, so I was like, I need to help the news. So like, just selfishly, I was like, let's get some new comedians in because if there's not like, if there's not like a development program for new comedians, then rice is going to die after one year. <laughs> so, um, so, th- so there, there, there was that. And, um, and yeah, no, you guys put in so much hard work, you know, like I said, it's not like you got the support of a just for laughs that markets and does everything on their own. Like mm-hmm. it was more, I opened up stage time and I did some mentoring and then you guys like put all the pieces together. So yeah, yeah. And and I got to say, I got to thank out to uh, my little Asian group as well in Toronto of, uh, of friends that really uh, were super excited about the show and was able to, to come out, buy tickets and uh, support support the cause, support the cause of, of, of Asian representation uh, in media and, and, and in comedy. Uh, so, yeah, definitely exciting time 
to start because we're kicking off this podcast in May as well and on the night of the premiere for Anna Luo and uh, be able to start seeing all of our sets roll through and we're mm-hmm. really excited about it. And uh, yeah, it'll be appearing on Vong's YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Vong Show uh, YouTube channel. You could probably just Google that and we'll have links down below. Yeah. And um, yeah, and pretty much looking forward to that. And this feels like a pretty good time to, to <laughs> kind of get into a little bit of our uh, end of podcast traditional game. Mm. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue. Yeah, you, I think some of our listeners may have wondered, or maybe one of our listeners was wondering, when, when, are, when are they going to do the 10 word thing uh, that they used to do? So uh, we're going to start off with that 10 word association game. So Lucas and I will each have 10 words. We'll run through our uh, word list and Vong clear your mind at the beginning of our list. And, you know, as each, we say each word, say the first thing that comes to mind, you know, it could be a word, it could be a a thought, an image in your head. It's all good. Uh, And then we'll just go through there and then see what happens. And then we'll end off the podcast. So, uh how this lucas do you want to start first yeah 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 for sure for sure um all right cool you feel you feel relaxed feel loose and everything mm-hmm. awesome <laughs> awesome okay so first word of 10 cute me <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> i like it i like it uh representation uh, simulu nice <laughs> stage oh cbc COVID. Masks. Mm, I know. Rice. Steamed rice. Nice. Not about brown rice, wild rice? No. No, no. I, 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 I've got a rant about rice, but uh, yeah, I, only steamed jasmine rice for me. <laughs> nice, nice. Multi-talented. Chris Rock. Oh plan i don't know why but the first word that came into my brain was planet <laughs> okay oh, makes sense. <laughs> marvel superheroes nice laughs uh laugh factory and the last word vong show <laughs> <laughs> hey, lucas lucas always goes for that trick one at the end where it's like uh i should think of something else but all i can think about is me so it's like that's always that's always a fun one pretty uh, much and honestly i'm so egocentric that i'm usually am thinking of me <laughs> hey sometimes sometimes your biggest uh your biggest supporter is yourself at the same time sometimes your biggest critic is yourself so you mm. know yeah it's, it's all is all part of the process but um all right so for me i know last uh, series one i always had the same 10 words and i decided to keep that tradition but with a new set of 10 words so oh, i'm gonna have nice. a new set of 10 words for series two while i'll where i'll ask all of uh, our guests and it'll be interesting to kind of see how they all respond to it so first word of 10 bong clear your mind <sighs> all right first word childhood abuse <laughs> that sounds so bad i don't know how that came to my brain but yeah well, that's what came what up. a way to start series two <laughs> with the uh, child abuse um next word banana self-hatred 
Sun. Moon. Solitude. Jail. Goal. Oriented. River. Wide. Circle. Jerk. <laughs> yeah, this next word. Kumquat. <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> Winning. A triathlete. And finally, finished. The end. <laughs> All right, there we go. That's, that's the end of our ten-word game of series two to kick it off. That was a that was a great, great variety of words response uh, to those. And um, yeah, thank you, Vong, for coming on the show and being our our first of series two, kicking it off right. And uh, yeah, I want to obviously like give a shout out to your all your social media handles and uh, the Vong Show YouTube channel. Um, was there anything else uh, you wanted to uh, plug or share? No, other than, you know, um, yeah, the big thing for Asian Heritage Month is the Fresh Rice web series. It's going to be everywhere. And uh, what I'm super happy about, too, is not just the exposure of the web series itself, but there's going to be a lot of articles coming out, um, not just about me, but our PR um, campaign is more about elevating the comedians themselves. So there's going to be an article in the CBC that actually profiles all eight comedians, um, and there'll be several other interviews. I know just today, one of the Fresh Rice comedians um, got a gig on TV and another one got a gig on the radio. So nice. it's just coming out and we're just going to be featuring um, these Fresh Rice comedians everywhere. So hopefully, um, hopefully if the plan works, you won't have to look for us. You're probably going to get sick of seeing all of the Fresh Rice over the, over the next month because we should be blasting all across um, the airwaves for the next month. Great. Perfect. And, and when, in terms of like social media, what, what are the handles again? Oh, um, the, so my social media handle is at Vong show. Um, that's like gong show, but with a V and that's across everything, YouTube, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, anything you can think of. It's the same thing at Vong show. Great, great. Check, check it out. And uh, to all our listeners right now, if you uh, wait a little bit longer, you'll be able to see the premiere of Anna Luo. Luo. I don't know why I'm really fucking that up. <laughs> Anna Luo's uh, first set, kicking our web series off at uh, the Vong Show YouTube channel. Uh, we'll have links down below as well. So check that out. Uh, Lucas, what are your handles? Uh, everyone can find me across social media at Lucas John Ng. Again, two letters for that last name. NG. And Josh, what are your handles? For me, it's at Josh Yang Comedy across everything. Again, uh, you can also listen to the Sleep with Josh podcast. That's oh, still yeah. <laughs> that's still a thing, even though it, during the break I did take some time off. I, I took I tried to sleep through my sleep with josh podcast but you know there's still over 50 episodes on there so you could listen way back in the catalog but uh check that out and of course remember to like subscribe and follow this podcast the have we made it yet podcast h-w-m-i-y podcast uh that's the handle across all social media and uh yeah thank you for coming back and we're looking forward to a great new series two year and uh, one more time, thank you, Vong Show, for coming on. Woo! Thank you. Thank you.
Awesome. All right. We'll see everybody next two in two weeks. In two weeks. Two weeks. See you later. Bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 